Well, children, before you head off to Sunday school, I have, as I almost always do, a question for you. And uh, that question is uh, a question, and be clear, this is not a recommendation. It is a question. Have you ever played with matches? No? Good. Don't play with matches. I have to tell you that when I was young, even though my parents had told me not to play with matches, I remember doing exactly that. I played with matches. I lit a match and it was burning and the flame was so bright and beautiful and I let it burn and burn until it hit my fingers. I burned my finger and my thumb so badly that they were black. It was not good. You see, fire can be really nice. How many of you have been at a bonfire? Yeah. How many of you roasted hot dogs or s'mores? Yeah. How many of you have a wood stove in your house that helps keep your house warm? Or maybe a wood pellet furnace outside? Yeah. It's good. Fire can be really good. But if you get too close to it, it can burn you. At the same time, you know what else fire is used for? Fire is used to refine precious metals, to to take the gold that comes out of the ground, out of the rocks, and to heat it up so that all the impurities can go away and you you can get these bricks of gold that's just like gold. Or you can get beautiful jewelry and rings. So fire can be really, really useful. But it can also be very, very deadly. Fire can be your friend. It can also be your enemy. The Bible tells us that God is light. The Bible tells us also that God is like a refining fire. The Bible tells us, too, that God is holy and perfect. So if you put all those things together in the theological math, the Bible math, you know that God is a perfect and holy fire. And God, as a perfect and holy fire, doesn't put up with Anything that is imperfect, anything that is not perfectly good. Now, children, how many of you are perfectly good? Uh, Okay, adults, you've heard this question before. How many of you are perfectly good? (laughs) Yeah, you're a funny guy. That's right. Amen, brother. About as far from being perfectly good as you can possibly get. And that's not just you. That's, that's all of us. 
So, when we come to God, God is who we need. We're so messed up and we need the warmth of God. We need the refining fire of God. We need something to cleanse us, children. But we're also going to get burned real bad because we're so not good. So what do we do? God is is who we most need and God can be our worst enemy because He doesn't tolerate us in our sinfulness. Well, this is what we're going to talk about as adults today because today is Transfiguration Sunday. This is the Sunday where we look at the Bible story where Jesus goes up on a mountain and He spends time with a couple of His disciples and and there He is transformed so that His face, His whole body is radiant with light and the disciples see Him for who He is. They see Him as holy and perfect And full of light and fire. And yet, they survive. They live. And that is because Jesus is the bridge between the holy fire and the messed up people that you and I are. He's the one that cleans us from all our sin. So, children. Have you read the story, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, or seen the movie by C.S. Lewis? No? None of you? Wow, you guys got to do some work, parents. Read them some Narnia. Okay, in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, there's a boy named Eustace who becomes a dragon because he is greedy. And Aslan has to transform him back into a boy. And Aslan cuts this dragon skin off in layers upon layers, and it hurts so badly. But eventually, Eustace, the boy, comes out. That is what Jesus does for us. Cuts the dragon out of us. Cuts the impurities out of us. Burns the impurities out of us. And it might hurt a lot sometimes. But then we can be pure as Jesus calls us to be. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so very much for The fact that you sent your son to clean us of all of the sins so that we, O God, can be together with you without being consumed or destroyed by your fire. Lord, help these children to always grow so that they can be they can be children of God and radiant, reflecting the light of their king. Be with them in Sunday school, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, children, off you go. Sunday school it is. I know, it's awesome. Isn't it great? Hear the thundering herd. So good. Maybe there'll be even more of them next week.
Well, brothers and sisters, it is, uh, it's 11.25, just so you know. So it's good because we have usually a two-hour long service, so we've got lots of time, lots of time, right? Good. Uh, so somebody's told me on numerous occasions never to apologize for preaching a long sermon. Uh, then again, other people have told me, your sermon should make it so that the service is only an hour. So I've had mixed messages on that front. So I'm just going to do uh, what God calls us to do, and, and the rest is up to you. So now this morning, as I said, is Transfiguration Sunday. This morning we are looking at um, what happens when Jesus comes uh, up onto the mountain and is transfigured before the eyes of the disciples. But before that, I need to read to you a brief quote. Our, our, our family has been looking at... Um, C.S. Lewis's um, Mere Christianity, which is another book that is really, really good, and you should probably read if you haven't already read it. But this is one of the quotes from Mere Christianity. God is the only comfort. He is also the supreme terror. The, the thing we most need and the thing we most want to hide from. He is our only possible ally, and we have made ourselves his enemies. Some people talk as if meeting the gaze of absolute goodness would be fun. They need to think again. They are still only playing with religion. Goodness is either the great safety or the great danger according to the way you react to it. And we have reacted the wrong way. See, this is something that we often forget. We don't have the glory of God shining directly in our faces every moment of the day in a way that we perceive very well. And so we walk along in this world thinking, you know, we're okay. We're all right. We're pretty good. God can put up with us. God is merciful and gracious and so on. And he is merciful and gracious. We're, we're not okay on our own. We're, we're, not a, we're not good enough. We're not fine. But God is gracious and merciful and loving. That is part of his character for sure. And yet, if we were confronted by the glory of God face to face, we would, like all of the prophets who saw even a vision of the train of God's glory, we would tremble and cry out, Woe is me, for I am a person of unclean lips from a people of unclean <clears throat> lips. You see, good True goodness, true holiness, true righteousness does not, cannot, will not tolerate anything that is anything less than holy or righteous or good. They are as, as impossible to mix together as oil and water. They don't 
go together. They cannot. A God who is all-powerful, who knows all, who sees all, cannot in His holiness and righteousness put up with even the tiniest speck of yuck. It's just not possible. It would be like us trying to survive in the heart of the sun. Not going to happen. We won't make it. And every once in a while, and these are episodes that we need to pay attention to seriously, which is why we can... One of the reasons why we commemorate Transfiguration Sunday, every once in a while the scripture gives us the tiniest glimpse of what the glory, what the holiness, what the righteousness of God truly means to people if we are confronted by that truth and reality and see God for who he is. Think about Moses, right? Okay, so here, before we get to our scripture passages, think about Moses, right? Moses and the Israelites come out of Egypt. They make their way to Mount Sinai and God comes in thunder and lightning and the people of Israel who God invites them all to come up the mountain, right? And and the people of Israel are terrified. Like this is not normal storm we're talking about. Thunder and lightning, yes, right? But the earth shakes and the people of Israel see, they don't see even the tiniest bit of the glory of God. They just see the cloud and and the thunder and lightning that surrounds the presence of God. And they say, uh oh, we're not going up there. We can't handle that. And so Moses gets delegated to go up and be the one who goes instead of the people of Israel. And and he goes up and there's all, all kinds of stories around that. But one of the things that we find is that when Moses comes down from the presence of the Lord, his face is radiating with the reflected glory of the presence of God. And this is true even though Moses himself would have had to have been somewhat sheltered from the glory of God. And Moses' face is so radiant from this contact, this reflected contact of a shaded God that the people can't even stand to see that. And it's not that they hate it. It's that they realize that 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 purity, that holiness, that righteousness would undo them. It was too much for them. And that's just Moses and his reflected light from God. Now let's turn to the scriptures and see what the scriptures reveal to us about the transfiguration particularly, but also about just in general, the glory of God. We're going to look first at Psalm 99, Psalm 99. If I can get there, Psalm 99. The Lord reigns. 
Let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Great is the Lord in Zion. He is exalted over all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. The king is mighty. He loves justice. You have established equity. They kept his Wait a second. What happened, David? Uh, all right, I got confused. Uh, you, excuse me. You have established equity in Jacob. There we go. You have done what is just and right. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called on the Lord and he answered them. He spoke to them from the pillar of cloud. They kept his statutes and the decrees he gave them. Lord our God, you answered them. You were to Israel a forgiving God, though you punished their misdeeds. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain for the Lord our God is holy. The word of the Lord. Amen. Then we, of course, we also have to look at the gospel of Luke. We have to look at the story of the transfiguration. We'll look at Luke chapter 9. Uh, Luke chapter 9. Uh, let me see. Verses 28 to uh, 36. About eight days after Jesus said this, um, that was, he had just said in the ver previous verse, truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Jesus says about, or we hear about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up to, onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with them. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. <laughs> he did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice from the cloud came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves, did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. The word of the Lord. <clears throat> Amen. Amen. 
Brothers and sisters, we need to remember. We need to remember something that it is so hard for us to remember. It is so difficult. Because here, the reality is, how often have we seen the glory of the Lord? Anybody? Zero, right? The truth is, is that none of us have seen the full glory of the Lord. No living human being has ever seen the full glory of the Lord. Except for Jesus, who is with the Lord right now, and who is fully human and fully divine. But all the rest of us, we have at most throughout history had a, a, a handful of individuals who have experienced the smallest taste of the glory of God. And so it's really hard for us to remember something from which we are constantly and consistently protected. Right? Why have we not seen the glory of the Lord? Well, well, the truth is, is that we couldn't handle it. We couldn't survive it. And yet, it is critical for us to remember. Because it is absolutely essential to the story of what is going on in this world and what God's plans for us are and what we have done to ourselves and the battle between good and evil, Satan and God. You see, there are a bunch of myths at play in our world that, that try to teach us that a, a bunch of things that are just lies. They're just not true. There, there is one myth out there that goes that basically evil and good are, are equal but opposite forces within this universe that battle against each other. And the outcome of equal versus good or uh, good versus evil, excuse me, is, is really unknown. That, that, that we don't know what the outcome will be. Well, that's just baloney. That's Pure malarkey, as my dad would say. There are no equal forces. There is God, who is good, and then everything else. And Satan can no more win against God than a flea could win against my boot. I don't know. Fleas are pretty tough, so maybe that's not a great illustration. But you know what I mean, right? It's just not going to happen. There's a second myth out there that tells us that we are, we're kind of okay. That we'll be all right as we are. Right? And you see that in everything from your neighbors who say, well, I'm a pretty good person. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good person. I'm a pretty good woman. I, I try and do good things. Oh, I mean, I'm not perfect, but I, I try and do decent things. That there is some sort of thing out there called good enough. And there, there really isn't. Ultimately, God in his purity and righteousness, will not tolerate anything less than perfection. 
Why should he? Why could he? Anything less than perfection in the end would sully his own holiness and righteousness. And his holiness and righteousness is so great that that, that is just not possible. It's not, it's, it just can't. It's it, unreasonable, illogical, impossible. It's a little bit like the question, can God make a rock so big he can't lift it? It doesn't make sense. Evil cannot exist ultimately with good. It will be burned away. And so you, my friends, and I, and all of the people of this world, and all of the things of this world, none of them have ever, except for one, been good enough. None have ever been or will be good enough. I used to struggle with this a lot more, thank God, than I do now. I knew that I was saved by grace. In fact, when, when, when I was young, I, I felt like I heard kind of a twisted message of the gospel, though I didn't really know it at the time. I felt like I heard from the pulpit that, that I was a lowly groveling worm. That's what I was. And that if I was good enough, and if I worked hard enough, good Calvinist work ethic, then God might decide to be gracious to me and tolerate me and not destroy me. Right? And and, and there are some parts of that that are just close enough to truth to really mess things up. Right? Because the reality is, because I tried, I, I, I tried to offer something, anything to God that was even remotely good enough. And every time I tried, it was, I didn't, I knew that I hadn't tried hard enough, so it wasn't good enough. Or my motivations were messed up, and so it obviously wasn't good enough because it was actually about my selfishness, my desire, right? Or or I, I dropped the ball, I made a mistake, I did something, something always went wrong, and I was never able to say, here God, here's a good and pleasing offering. And that was just me, knowing that about myself let alone what God could see. And the truth is the same for you. I hate to say it, but there is nothing that you have ever done and there is nothing that you will ever do that will be, apart from God, good enough. It just can't be. Long, long ago in the history of humanity, we declared ourselves enemies of God and we corrupted ourselves so that every part of us is breathing and seething with sin.
And seeing the glory of God makes that abundantly clear. It is a light that burns. It's like we're all the wicked witch of the West or the East or whatever. In the Wizard of Oz, the one who gets water on her. Right? It's like we're all the wicked witch. And right? And and the glory of God, the goodness, the purity of God is like the water. And it pours on us and we're like, I'm milking. Because we can't handle that kind of purity. We can't handle that kind of wholeness and, and, and awesomeness and righteousness. We're not pure, and the pure dissolves us. Except that, except that it doesn't. Time and time again, people throughout the scriptures are confronted with the glory of God and they do not die. They do not dissolve into a puddle of melting witch. They do not cease to exist as they deserve to. Instead, foolish people like Peter can say, Hey, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up some shelters. Let's stay here forever. Right? And other people who are maybe a bit wiser or who are maybe just confronted more directly with the glory of God, they they say, Woe is me. But then somebody comes along and puts a coal to their lips. And they're able to hang around. And they are even called into ministry to give the message of God to others. Why is that? Why is that? Well, we've got to remember, we've got to have in our mind's eye the glory of God. But we also need to remember that not only is God holy and righteous and perfect and pure. Not only is God light, not only is God a refining fire, but God is also love. God is also mercy. God is also grace. God is those things as well. And those are not contradictory things in spite of the idea of some people who think that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament and and that the wrathful God of the Old Testament is not the same as the loving, gracious, merciful God of the New Testament. No, 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 no. We need to remember that those things are all the same. They're all the same package. God is perfectly consistent within God's self. And so it's not like God has a split personality or something like this. There's the the nice side and the not nice side. No, 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 no. Part of God's graciousness, part of God's holiness, part of God's mercy, part of God's glory, all of those things are together. They're the same God. And that is why God came up with a plan. See, it could have been that when Satan rebelled against God, God said, Gone. I am holy and righteous. You may not exist immediately. It could have been that God said to Adam and Eve when they rebelled against him, gone, start from scratch. I am righteous and holy. But because God is both righteous and holy and merciful and gracious, 
and love, he made a plan. I will not surely wipe you out instantaneously. Instead, I will give you the opportunity to become my child, my daughter, my son, part of my family. I know we don't go big in for iconography in the Christian Reformed Church, and there's some history about that, and I'm not recommending we put up all kinds of icons in our church. But there's an icon that Gwyneth's uh, been looking at a lot in their uh, program. She's doing a master's program right now. It's by Rublev, is it? Yeah. Um, And it is a picture of the Trinity sitting at a table, a four-sided table. They are sitting on three sides of the table. And the, you know, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But there is a place at the fourth side. The side closest to the viewer. And the Trinity is making a welcoming gesture. An invitational gesture. They are saying, he is saying, God three in one is saying, Come join us at the table. And though Peter does not know what he is saying, in a sense, he has clicked on to something. The whole journey of Jesus is to invite us not only into right relationship with our Creator, right relationship that we had abandoned long, long ago, but an invitation to actually join the family of God. An invitation extended by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. We should remember, brothers and sisters, that it is really a major miracle that we can walk around at all under the staggering reality of God's holiness and righteousness. A staggering reality that is only made bigger by the fact that he extends his grace to us freely through Jesus Christ. So that people who are totally depraved like you and I are cleansed of our sin. And by the refiner's fire, we can boldly approach the throne of God. Walking in the light of a sun that by rights ought to burn us to dust. Brothers and sisters, let us walk in awe this week of our God. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so, so very much for your son Jesus who provides the way to you. 
Lord God, he himself testifies that he is the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to you, Father, except through him. And so, Lord, today we stand in awe. In awe of your glory and your righteousness and your holiness, your perfection. And we stand in awe as well of your love and your mercy and your invitation through Jesus into your family. Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.